The Giants are running New York like the times as Danny is dropping all sorts of dimes. Saquon's thighs are ruining defenses' lives and Leonard Williams making opposing QBs feel him. Receivers think it's scary to line up across James Bradbury and the Giants have a bright future led by coach, judge, jury, and executioner. Tune in to Drawing About the G-Men every Wednesday at 6, live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. Rocky Hill Accountants offers a unique, low-pressure approach to professional and personal services, which is why they have an excellent client retention rate and are extremely proud of the high-quality services that their firm provides. The executive team at Rocky Hill Accountants has over 35 years of combined experience in income tax preparation, bookkeeping, accounting, and IT crypto tax. They specialize in individual income tax preparation, as well as trusts, estates, and gift tax returns. The tax debt line for individuals is May 17th. If you're one of the 50 million Americans who still hasn't filed, visit RockyHillAccountants.com. Ladies and gentlemen, this is our main event. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, to Throat Jab, the Combat Sports Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Big Jace, joined by Joe Aguirre and Jared Jones. And a lot to talk about UFC 252s tonight. We'll get to that, but let's recap some fights from last week. Starting off, Alex Moreno finishes Donald Cowboy Cerrone in the first round. Joe, what would you think of the fight, and was this the Cowboys' last ride? Oh, that was bad. Uh, you know, he talked a lot. He trained really well. He went out and did everything right. And then he got beat up badly again. I do love Cowboy, but it is time to ride off into the sunset. I totally agree. 100%. This was, this was it for him. Because uh, Moreno's, I don't want to say mediocre. You know, but um, uh, an above average guy, I don't see elite level out of this. I think that the matchup was based on the fact that this is a guy that's a respectable fight, but not an elite fighter. Um, and that had to be the plan. You don't win this one. It's time to go, man. It's got to be. You, you're not. What do you do? Back up 10, 15 guys and then start working your way back up again? It's, it's too much. It's past. Thank you, though. You know what? You you made a good point too. I I kind of thought the same thing. Uh, Murano looked good in this fight, uh, but everyone's been looking good against Cowboy Cerrone of late. This guy needed a name on his resume, so he's positioned well going forward. But you use the word that elite. I don't see anything elite about him, and so I don't think the ceiling's going to be breaking any glass. You know what what he can do with with this fight and what he might leverage that into next. He could position himself, but he's I just don't think he's good enough uh to, to do any real yeah. damage. Agreed. I mean, it was just it's a crossroads fight. I mean, Moreno, he, even though he is not on his way to the top tippity top, he's still coming up slowly and Don, Cowboy has been slowly declining. But um 
Dana White says that there's still possibly one more fight to be made for Cowboy. I, I don't think I don't want to see him fight again, especially after this losing to a guy like this. It, it sucks to see. It really does suck to see. But uh, that's like being at NASCAR and be having like 18 laps left and everybody else pits, and you're like, mm, there's probably enough tread on this tire to finish up. Yeah. That's that's what Dana was saying. There's not. There's not. You're going to be sliding all over the road, cowboy. <laughs> it's 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 done. It happened. Tony brings up a good uh, point. The Moreno uh, was a replacement for Sanchez. I mean, both those guys. It is like a legends league. Like old guys fight, but it's still. Sanchez is the name, but was he even ever an elite fighter? Without drugs. He's right up there around Chris Lehman. I mean, it's not, yeah, so I think this was kind of the plan. If you can't beat this guy, it's probably time, dude. You know? Yeah. Like Tyson said after the Kevin McBride fight, I'm death with Beck in the game if I can't beat this guy. It's time. It's time. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, again, to see Donald Cerrone get overwhelmed by who? You know what I mean? You're like, all right, this just keeps happening every fight now. Let's let's stop that already. Yeah, I mean, this guy's gonna go back to the prelims, and hopefully, Cowboy rides off into the sunset. But now let's talk about the main event, the meaningful fight. Maria Rodriguez, Rodriguez, she's defeats Michelle Watterson via unanimous decision. Jared, how does Rodriguez match up with the top of this division? Better than anybody else. Um, I said a couple fights ago, this is the next girl. She's going to dominate a few fights and then she's going to get her shot. Uh, This is one of the people I've been riding with. Uh, Really, really enjoy watching her fight. She's really good. She's really, really good. I think she's right on the cusp of those other fighters. And we won't know until we see her in the cage. It's easy to say all those girls would dominate her, but I don't know if that's true. I think this is the, ah, what was the guy's name from last week with the, with the long butt? Prohaska. Prohaska. This is the female Prohaska. She's coming. Watch out. Uh, Let me say this. Um, That was great. Michelle Waterson, um, by the way, is a warrior. Rodriguez hits hard. And I got to tell you, if that woman did not have the heart of a lion, I don't think she would have lasted that entire fight. True. I mean, that's a hard hitter. And 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 Watterson can take a punch, boy, like not a lot of people can. Um, I do think uh, Rodriguez, or however you're trying to say that, Rodriguez, how we doing that? It's Brazilian, so the R sounds like an H. Rodriguez. Rodriguez. I like it. Like she fought the, the karate hottie and she's hot Riguez. I get it. Hey. Um I do think she, I think she matches up very well um with all the big guns and and you know I don't know that her next fight's gonna be uh I think you mentioned uh Drajacek, uh Zhang and, and Namajumas uh specifically Jace. I don't know that she's getting any one of them in their in her next fight. I don't know if, if this gets her to that level yet, but 
Uh, I'd love to see her and 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 uh, Wiley uh, go at it. I mean, a couple of big rows too. Hard, is they would all be really uh, good fights. So, yeah. yeah uh, she but, is but, uh, capable of beating any and all of these girls. If you don't think that, you haven't been watching her fights. She is capable of winning all three of those fights. She has it in her in her wheelhouse. Whether she will or not, it's a totally another story. That's why we fight. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she called Joanna out after the fight, and uh, it seems like th- that that's a fight that makes the most sense to me. Have Zhang and Rose go back at it just because, uh, yeah, just have them redo it and then have Rodriguez take on Joanna for that number one contender spot. So, but but I'm excited to see her, what she can do against those top, those top females because they're really, really good. And I think she does have it, but I mean, Joanna's really I mean they're all at the top for a reason. So she if she can get past that and break well, like Joe said earlier, the glass ceiling, I, I think she can get through it. But now let's head over to boxing. Starting off, Elwin Soto TKO's Katsunari Takayama in the ninth. Jared, what the heck was that stoppage? Now, to be fair to the referee, there were moments in, I think, six and seven where you could have stopped it and I'd have been perfectly fine with it. I wouldn't have had a problem with the stoppage. This guy hopping around and throwing flurries after you stopped the fight, (laughs) that made it look really bad. But um, he was dominated throughout. And like I I thought Elwin Soto gave him that opportunity, and I think it was the seventh round, through flurries and came after him and hit him hard a bunch of times. Um, Talk about... ...supposed to lose that fight. Somebody forgot to tell him that this was a party for Elwin Soto. Cause uh, he came out, man. That was that was. I'd watch him fight again. He's, he's obviously not a top of the line guy, but if he's going to bring that every time, what is he forty something? That was that was inspiring to watch. Even though he was thoroughly dominated and outclassed throughout. This is one of the things we love about boxing: is guys like Casanari Takayama. Oh sure, yeah. You know, uh, not everybody loves that expression, letting a warrior go out on his shield because of obviously the inherent danger to allowing that. Um, Takayama was was getting beaten up pretty good. I kind of thought a little bit in that moment. I kind of saw what the ref saw, and I kind of oh, thought yeah. he was out on his feet. I didn't have a. I wasn't, I mean, I know a lot of people reacted to that stoppage with total incredulity. Um, I did not. That's a popular word, Joe. (laughs) Yeah. You mentioned, though, you know, after the fight, he's in the ring and he's he's, uh, throwing the flurries and stuff. Um, I hope that wasn't his last fight. It very well may have been. Um, But to be fair, he was getting hit a lot in that fight. And I don't think that stoppage was necessarily an in-the-moment stoppage as much as it was a, this is three rounds in a row where this guy's getting hit in the head a lot. Kill the damage, yeah. 
right? It's like he's not, he's probably not going to do enough in these last three rounds to win this fight. Why don't we just call it a, why don't we just call it a day so that you'll recognize your children next week? I was actually um, a little surprised. The corn, this was an, this was an example of a fighter needing to be saved from himself. You know, where you have like lines of defenses with the ref and the what well, that's that's something I can't stand is when you can see a guy not there anymore. You know, almost looking for a way out and people don't give it to him. Um from themselves and to save their confidence for their next fight and so on and so forth. And um, there was, like I said, an opportunity in the seventh, I think, where the ref or the corner or anybody steps in and says, you know what, enough is enough. We know who the better guy is tonight. That's, that's the issue I have with people that are really going in about this stoppage is, did you not know who the better fighter was? Did you think Takayama had the power to knock out Soto? Because I don't. I don't think he was going to land that. I thought he landed that punch a couple times already and just didn't have the pop to get Soto out of there. That being said, he was down 100 points, and the Washington Generals don't win games. It wasn't going to happen for him, so I'm okay with the stoppage. The guy got beat pillar to post and lost every round, and I love the warrior spirit inside of this guy. Like I said, 40-something, two-year layoff, I'd watch him again, but uh, I'm, I'm kind of okay with the stoppage. Like you said, it was the timing that got people upset and not the fact that if you look at the cumulative damage, you say, Oh yeah, you could have stopped this halfway to here. Yeah, I mean again, I would say I would say, you know, in the moments before the stoppage, I did I did recognize what I thought was a guy out on his feet. And I and I'm pretty sure that's what the ref saw. Uh and he allowed a, a couple more punches before he jumped in there and you know, I think in some of these situations uh Zhang Wiley's a good example of somebody who hits the ground and like w- wakes themselves up from being knocked out. Uh, and this could have been a situation where uh, Takiyama was out in his feet and then got hit a couple more times and it snapped him back into reality for a minute. He was going to go back to La La Land. Yeah. It, it, you know what I mean? It, 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 he wasn't He wasn't much further off from, I think, just really getting hurt out there. Two years out, out of the game to come back and to give a great performance like that. Again, if he has any desire to fight again, like you said, you'd love to watch it again. I think this was best for him health-wise. The, the the stoppage, again, initially didn't seem like, and I know everybody freaked out about it. I definitely saw that different. Yeah, I, I do think, like, like Jared mentioned, if it was a corner stoppage, people wouldn't have a problem with the ref. Well, it and should it, have been a corner stoppage. Yes. They, they, they definitely... You know, look, I, when a referee has to jump in, I think you're failing. I think you're failing your guy. Your your yes. corner is letting you down. Um, again, I I get the I get the 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 warrior going out on the shield and all that, but there's such a thing as you know, is, is physically and mentally. Let me tell you that those are not good for you. I've been in the ring for those, and now I, I have a psychology degree, and I can tell you unequivocally, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that when you know you're not good enough and get left out there anyways, 
in any situation. Take that outside of boxing when you know you're not good enough. It's been proven that you're not good enough. And you get left out there anyways. It's unhealthy. That's what causes fractures. You know? Yeah, and that's what happened. It's up to you to get in there. You know that guy. You saw what was going on. Get him out of there. Yeah, frustrating. I also saw uh, Tony, uh, you know, uh, just commented the stoppage of Wilder was similar. It wasn't that particular flurry so much as just all of them. The the cumulative uh, damage that you're taking is a lot. And again, at some point, you do have to save people sometimes from themselves in their corners. Yeah. All right. Talk about someone getting saved in his corner. Billy Joe Saunders gets TKO'd in the eighth by Canelo Alvarez. Fractured orbital in his eye. Uh, Canelo was dominating the beginning. Billy Joe Saunders started to turn it back on, but then Canelo just ended it. Now, where does Canelo go from here, Joe? Um, to somebody on his level. I mean, someone who's a legit, <laughs> legit. I mean, it, no, nobody named Caleb, Caleb, none of that. That, Liam. that, that yeah, no, no Liam's. Liam's. <laughs> I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear it. Well, there's definitely some some good quality people. We talked about him just a couple weeks ago. Uh, current WBO uh, middleweight titleist uh, Demetrius Andrade says he'll come up and wait. Uh, has said he's ready, willing, and able. Um, that's a dangerous fight. No, it's locked in that he's fighting Caleb Plant next. That actually uh, is fact. So we're talking about who's going to be the fight after the Plant fight. Well, and way four to say that, isn't ago, it? we were talking about guys that he's going to fight four fights from now after he gets done with all this. You said this a month and a half ago, or, or, or you know, a bunch of shows ago. <laughs> he's got to get done fighting all his Calums and, and Callums and Liams, and then, you know, he'll get in there with, hopefully, someday, Andrade or... Uh, Baturbiev, or act like if you offer this fight to Usyk, he won't come back down. It will. I promise. Um, And just fight one of those guys. Fight somebody. Did we ever think, was there a moment in that fight you went, oh no. Oh no. After the Katie Taylor, Joe Parker, uh, that that foursome that, that I sent to Parlay, I had this tacked on to the end of it. Uh... Forty dollars to win one twenty, and I never, for a moment, thought that parlay was in jeopardy. Ever for one second, Saunders had his moments, but this was a bigger, stronger guy walking you down. He was going to catch you, and he was going to hurt you. And the only problem I have with Saunders going away is the things he said about other fighters that were in that position. That then he kind of had to eat those words. Um. When it happened to him, I can't stand the, the, the internet tough guys that have never been in a ring talking about what a bitch Billy Joe Saunders is. I don't, I'm not down with that. You get back in there after you get back, you get in there, anybody in the ring with Canelo Alvarez and a dislocated orbital is an idiot. Most of them are idiots in the first place. <laughs> that guy 
is a beast, man. And that's why I say Materbiev will be the one to beat. Do you think Andraj can beat him? I, I like the fight. I think it's a great fight. He's got a good uppercut. I think he's got a little bit more pop than Saunders. I actually discussed this with uh, Scully, who said, no, Saunders has more pop than Demetrius. They said uh, he thought Saunders was more powerful. If that's the case, Canelo's going to walk right through him. I'm not sure that's the fight either. This guy's Kodo-ish when he cuts weight. So, I, yeah, I want to see Paterbia. Honestly, that's the fight I want to see. You know, Jace mentioned off the top of this particular segment that, you know, uh, Billy Joe Saunders started to kind of come back a little bit in this fight, middle round, six, seven, eight, but that... And I think what makes Canelo Alvarez so great is him recognizing that you're doing that and then putting a beating on you for it. Turning it up. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, I mean, he's got that ability to um, kick it up to the next level. I, I thought, you know, the same thing with Katie Taylor a couple of weeks ago uh, in the fight of her life. And late in that fight, boy, it seemed like she just kept turning it up a little bit higher and and when we talked earlier about uh, uh, Brandon Morano, um, again, we're talking the difference sometimes between someone who's pretty good at this and somebody who's at elite level status. And and again, there's there's a reason. There's the names that we know, and there's the names that we're hoping are going to be something, or that we we can this guy hang with this guy. Hanging is not beating somebody, right? Whether you can hang with can, can this guy last ten rounds? Man, maybe. If you if your if your thought is can I hang for ten rounds? You've already lost the fight. If you're just trying to hang around, you're not winning that. Yes. <laughs> well, it's funny when I was a kid. The whole thing: Would you fight Mike Tyson for a million bucks? Number one, Mike Tyson was good. Number two, a million dollars was a lot of money at the time. The question was, how long, right, in my mind, could I survive? How many Mike Tyson uppercuts could I survive? You're that was the mentality. <laughs> right. I wasn't thinking, like, you know what? I'm going to try to work them early, work the body late. I'm going to go more to the head. Be... Right. It was, how many times will he hit me before I either die or, like, everything's broken and fractured? That was sort of how we determined that. And that's what this fight was like for Billy Joe Saunders. <laughs> <laughs> this was literally, this was at, at what, you know, my, my only question of the night was, when does Canelo knock him out? When does this fight get finished? I knew it would finish. I knew it wasn't going to get to 10. Um, love the eight. Happy with that. Uh, but again, I think you know how great Canelo is. And Billy Joe Saunders, and again, nothing to sneeze at, but give us a break, dude. There's so many great yeah. fighters out there. They all want a piece of you. Go out like a champ. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, there's a difference between Billy Joe Saunders, great middleweight, but Canelo is great pound for pound. And that's what we saw. And the thing you go ahead. I, I don't remember which one of you, but last time we did a boxing pound for pound list. Someone said, based off Canelo's last fight, he does not deserve to be on there. Does he deserve to be on the top five pound for pound right now after this? I mean, he does because he shouldn't really have been off the list. So whoever's list that was, I don't know who you're implying did that, if that was me or Jared. 
I feel like that I don't remember. It was a, like feels that. more like something I would do. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe. Yeah, listen, great fight. But listen, my my whole thing about Canelo Alvarez is you got to you got to be taking the good fights, man. You there there's there's not a lot of time left, bud. You know, you know and, and I said, uh, there's a reason I always bring up that Loma fight, because what you said about levels, I feel like at full speed, when they both pushed it all the way up, Loma was just a little bit better. He just didn't have the size or whatever fortitude to keep it at that level for the amount of time he needed to to win the fight. Katie Taylor did. Canelo Alvarez did. When he turned it up, it was... It was messy. Could he have done that in three? See, and these are the conversations we're going to have if these are the fights he's going to have. Could yeah. he have knocked him out in the eighth? Could he have done it in three? If he went out there and said, you only got three and you have to stop the guy, could he have done it? Yeah, maybe. I'd, I'd bet yes before I'd bet no. Uh, if he had that in his head, got to stop him in three. Didn't he call this round? Looked like he went after him. That's what guys are doing nowadays. They're, when they get fights like this, they go bet the actual round they're going to stop the guy in and then wait to the eight to actually, you know, try to get the stoppage. Mayweather did that. Straight right hand. Watch the last round with his McGregor fight. He said, I'm going to stop him in this round with a straight right hand. Where are the hooks? Where are the uppercuts? Find me hooks and uppercuts in Floyd Mayweather Jr.'s last round with Conor McGregor. They don't exist. They're straight right hands. He's going to stop him with a straight right hand in that round because that's what he bet he was going to do. That's what this looked like to me. I'm going to stop him in the eighth. Here's $100,000 says I'm going to stop him in the eighth. Do you know what the plus line is on that? Come on, man. Plus 600? Yeah, that's what it looked like to me. I'm watching that and heard him say, I'm going to stop him in the eighth, and then watched him come out in the eighth the way he did. <laughs> come on, everybody, cheer. Here it comes. Like that box of movie Gladiator. Here he comes. <laughs> yeah, messy. Messy. Could have done it three. Yep. Yeah. I believe it. I believe it. And Joe Smith is man. He'll walk through Joe's. Come on, man. That's yeah, well, it, Andre's it, it, a better fight than Joe Smith. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, I, I the, the funny thing with Joe Smith is, I mean, the the cool part is he won't have to worry about looking to the left at all. Um, <laughs> not a hand coming from that direction when you're fighting Joe Smith. <laughs> Try fighting Canelo Alvarez with one good hand, and let let me know how that goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or one good. Uh, <laughs> yeah but uh all right now we we'll talk about one the one of the greatest in boxing right now after this break we'll talk about one of the greatest in MMA <laughs> but we'll be right back if the Seattle management is gonna give you their time of day what makes you think that Jerry Jones is going to listen to you? Both times they're blowing teams out by 10. Come on now. When they're on, they're on. Again, I'm going to need you to write LeBron a letter, send it to him, and say, Bron, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to hop off your bandwagon. Don't do that. Make sure you check out Stir the Pot Sports every 
Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 6 p.m. They talk a lot of boxing and MMA as well, as and all sports. So make sure you check those, check them out as well. As I mean, we got Rally in the chat right now talking. So, but now Anderson Silva has officially retired from MMA. So let's take a look back at his career and what moment from Anderson Silva's career would you say defines it? Starting with you, Joe. God, I wish it hadn't started with me because I hate to say this, but his showboating uh, and his particular brand, which I always found to be mean-spirited and disrespectful. There, there's something about, you know, you look at a guy like Kevin Holland who's out there having fun and I'm sure is making his opponents laugh with the nonsense that comes out of his mouth. There was always a meanness to Anderson Silva that I just didn't like. And then when Israel Adesanya did it to him late in his career, and I love Izzy, don't don't get me wrong here, but I seeing Israel Adesanya do that to Anderson Silva made me realize even how much more disrespectful Anderson Silva was. You know what I mean? Like, there's a difference between being playful in the ring, that what Nick Diaz did when they fought, where Nick was laying around and, and really clowning. But, you know, let's be honest. The biggest mistake of his career was messing around with Chris Weidman. It was one of the worst knockouts in, in history of knockouts, period. I mean, he, he, to me, that day cemented his legacy of being kind of a clown. I never liked Anderson Silva. I also never, I didn't like Khabib Nurmagomedov. I grew to love him because of the way he was. And Khabib could be a little mean and a little disrespectful at times too. There's just something, there's just something about it that it, it, I don't know. I hear Khabib talk his junk or say the things he says, and I'm like, well, he's right. I don't know, man. There's something about Anderson that just always rubbed me the wrong way. Of course, the rematch with Weidman, it couldn't have got any worse, could it? I mean, that then that seemingly seemingly spiraled his career into the abyss. So you remember White Man Can't Jump, Joe, the movie White Man Can't Jump, Wesley Snipes, Woody Harrelson? Let me just quote that for a second, because when I, when I hear you talk about Anderson Silva, I just want to tell you that it's not easy. It's not easy. It is hard work being that good. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not an easy task to be that phenomenal at what you do and not get a little, for me, this was hands down. I saw it in my head, Forrest Griffin, when I watched that fight, my goodness. I was like, this guy is video game, like ninja stuff that he was doing in the ring. And I knew the guy was gonna be a touch slower, but like, you're talking about stuff I do in sparring sessions with people who've wrapped their gloves up for the first time, where I'm moving around and kissing the glove on the way by and stuff just just to be just having fun out there that's what this was man uncle holding the little kid at arm's length while he while he you know struggles to get oh god and this was forrest was a monster like he was a good quality fighter 
The difference between a great fighter and an elite fighter, and when it was Anderson and Forrest, it was a lot. So for me, the moment that defines his career, those shades and that straight right hand, there were three or four of those during that fight that were just like, you make a top 50 best moves list, and he makes it four times in that fight. <laughs> that was highlight real stuff. Yeah, that's that's my favorite moment. I'd say that's who he was. Well, best. I got two. First off, <laughs> the second fight with Weidman, that, that's always going to have a special place in my heart because that was the it's first. impromptu mannequin challenges. <laughs> the yeah. champion of impromptu mannequin challenges. <laughs> But uh, for me, the fight with the second fight with Weidman when he broke his leg, it, it it was not a good moment in his career. But for me, that was one of the first UFC fights I remember watching. So that's why it holds a special place in my heart. But for me, the one part that the one fight that really defines his career for me is his first fight with Chael Sonnen when he gets him in the triangle and submits him. Because Chael was dominating, and that was really one of the first times Anderson Silva wasn't like this, wasn't didn't look as like the great Anderson Silva that he did in the past. Well, he was he was struggling, but then he found a way to get it up, to get that triangle, and get the submission. And I mean, if if you got your opponent saying, "Oh, self sabotage," he didn't actually beat me. You know you did something right, because when they when they doubt you, they, I, I you can't do that. It's, it's the top. He's a champion for a reason. You, you can't the, doubt the champion. The only time I didn't find Anderson Silva to be disrespectful was when he was talking to Chael Sonnen, who's a bigger a hole and got everything <laughs> he deserved. In that fight, and was nowhere. I mean, couldn't hold Anderson's jock, um, and and was disillusioned into thinking that for quite some time. I'm not listen, and I want to be clear here. Anderson Silva, great fighter, uh, one of the great title runs ever. Not lost on me. There was just something. I mean, I wanted to like the spider. I don't know, just something about it. I just. I never, I just could never like him. I don't know why, Jared. I don't have an answer. Great Even fighter. When he had a leg up on the competition. <laughs> yeah. That was a little uh... But, uh, I, I mean, you always need that villain, right? And for, for me, I always hated Kobe Bryant. But now looking back in his career, like, I love him. Like, he's great. I admire what he did, but when he was playing, I hated him because he was that that cocky. He he helped, he uh, carried himself like he was the best to ever do it. But now looking back, he he's up there. He deserves to be there, and I, I think Anderson Silva's the same way. He's definitely top ten. You know, a buddy of mine said when I was a little kid, I hate the Yankees. Might have been like four. I was like, why do you hate the Yankees? He said, because they always beat the Red Sox. It's a good reason. <laughs> good there reason go. as I can think. Yeah. That was my buddy from back in the day, and I learned to hate them too. Hilarious. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. 
Let's get into tonight's fights. Starting off in the boxing ring with Brandon Figueroa and Luis Neri. The junior featherweight titles are on the line tonight as WBC champ Luis Neri takes on WBA regular champ Brandon Figueroa. Luis Neri, 26 years old, he's 5 foot 5 with a 66 inch reach, record of 31 and 0 with 24 knockouts. From Tijuana, Mexico, Neri took to boxing in his teens and after a brief amateur career that saw him go 9 and 0 with 5 knockouts, he turned pro in 2012 at the age of 17, scoring a first round TKO. He won his first 18 fights with 13 knockouts before winning his first title, the WBC Continental Americas belt, with a unanimous decision over Martin Kayas. He defended that belt twice with brutal stoppages over former champion David Sanchez and Richie Mipranum. In 2016, he picked up the vacant WBC silver belt with a devastating fourth-round knockout of Raymond Toboggan. After stopping Jesus Martinez, he faced long-reigning WBC and Ring Magazine bantamweight champ Shinsuke Yamanaka, overwhelming the champion in a scintillating fourth-round TKO but losing the title immediately due to failing a post-fight drug test. The following year, the pair rematched with Neri getting it done in two rounds this time, having stunned and dropped Yamanaka multiple times en route to the stoppage. However, due to missing weight, he was uneligible to win the title. In his next fight, he took on Jason Kanoi for the vacant WBC silver belt overwhelming the Filipino and dropping him twice in the first round and once in the third before trapping him in the corner and forcing the stoppage. He retained the title three times by KO, including a devastating body shot knockout of Juan Carlos Payano. In September 2020, he won the vacant WBC Super Bantamweight title with a shaky but unanimous decision over Aaron Almeida a tough southpaw boxer-slash-puncher with dynamite in his left hand. Pantera has a killer instinct when he hurts his opponents using good footwork to stay in front of them and prolific bodywork to wear them down. Brandon Figueroa, 24 years old. He's 5'8", with a 72-inch reach and a record of 21-0 with 16 knockouts. From Westlaco, Texas, the heartbreaker followed his older brother, former lightweight champion Omar Figueroa, into the sport at a young age. After an extremely brief amateur career, he turned pro in 2015 at the age of 19 with a fourth-round unanimous decision. He won his first 16 fights with 11 knockouts, mostly against unheralded op opposition, before stepping up in competition, knocking out former Olympian Oscar Escadon in the 10th round. After a three-round blowout of former champion Moses Flores, he took on young Frez Pareo for the vacant WBA super bantamweight title, outworking Pareo and forcing him to quit on his stool after eight brutal rounds. In his first defense, he completely overwhelmed challenger Javier Chancon 
dropping him in the fourth round and forcing him to quit by spitting out his mouthpiece. In the next fight, he defended his belt against former champion Julio Ceja, who gave just as good as he got after 12 punishing rounds in which both men took damage. The fight was ruled a split draw. In September 2020, he stopped Damian Vasquez in the 10th round, dropping the challenger with a vicious right-left combo to the body, prompting the referee to stop the fight. A powerful punching switch hitter, Figueroa employs a more traditional Mexican style of phone booth fighting, relying heavily on body punches, hooks, and volume punching to wear down and overwhelm his opponents. Luis Neri and Brandon Figueroa face off with both the WBC and the WBA regular world junior featherweight titles on the line. Tonight, not only will the titles be on the line, but also that zero in the loss column will be on the line tonight. Joe, who's going to get their first loss? I think Neary's going to uh, outpoint Figueroa and win this fight. I think we are in for quite a treat tonight. A couple of 122-pound bangers going to be going at it. Uh, this is definitely going to be an exciting fight, but I don't know. I, I Neary, uh, sublime skills, uh, and and I and I think maybe he's just a little better than Figueroa, and so I'm going to take him in a in a dog fight. I have to agree, but I got a couple little caveats here because uh, Neri had three title shots, won all three fights. And didn't get a title till the third one. Failed drug test. Missing weight. Uh, it makes it really hard. You know, I mentioned Chris Lieben earlier. And he's one that always comes to mind. He had that left hand, that showstopper that could just, didn't matter who he was in the ring with. And then you found out he was on drugs. And that that... That next level, uh, Shane Mosley brought it to in the Oscar De La Hoya fight. My God, and that those levels we talk about pushing just to the next level. And Shane Mosley did that. in the lightweight division. And back to you, Jared. Um, when when Mosley did that, um, it was something else, and that was my first experience with that, and it conditioned me. And I hate this, but to question great uh, performances out of my fighters. When I see next level greatness, because I, I saw it with Shane Mosley. How did he do that? How did he turn it up like that? And then you find out he's on drugs, those Lieben knockouts, and he's taking human growth hormone or whatever, you know? Um, it makes it kind of hard to figure out, because after that with Lieben... Off drugs, Chris Lieben. He didn't look like he could beat anybody. Was a completely different human being uh, before and after the uh, drug charges. <laughs> so Nary, yes, watching his fights, this is the better guy. Also, Figueroa looked a little bit drawn at the weigh-ins. I don't know if you noticed they did. Uh, there were pictures of him in the clip, but he didn't look like he had an easy time making weight. 
his face looks different than that most days. Um, I'll take Neri, yeah, but would it shock me if he uh, if he actually made weight and wasn't on drugs and we got uh, Figueroa with the win? No, I'm not shocked. I'm not shocked by that. Yeah, well, I mean, both these guys had moved up, and it is crazy to see Figueroa does look very drained from the weigh-in, as we saw. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think if Neary has to be the guy. Like, he has to be the favorite. You have to pick Neary here. Can Figueroa land something and maybe put him down? Yes, I, I think this is going to be a banger. I, I, both these guys are going to brawl. And uh, but you, you got to go Neri. Like that's he, he's just shown every step of the way. He's just shown to be better. And I mean Figueroa. He also has a draw. He's the only one. He's tasted the only blind victory. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, and and you used the phrase during that segment. Quit on your stool. Um, and I'm not. I don't know. I'm like, a, I, I like do this literal interpretation thing. I always just think of being constipated and going, well, I guess it's not going to happen here. No, not today. Right? Quitting on your stool? I don't know. I, it's just something that I can, it's just a phrase that doesn't sit well with me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Now, Big. That could be a commercial. Quitting on your stool. <laughs> uh, all right. Now, that's it for boxing this weekend. But we got a big UFC pay-per-view. A lot of lightweights. Main, not just main events, and also in the co-main event. And let's watch the video. Between Benil Darush and Tony Elkakui Ferguson. Benil Darush is 32 years old. He's 5'10 with his 72-inch reach and a record of 20-4 and four with five knockouts and eight submissions. Born and raised on a farm in Iran, he moved to the United States at age 9 and took up Brazilian jiu-jitsu. In 2007, he earned his black belt in just five years, medaled in nine separate world jiu-jitsu championships, then turned pro in MMA in 2009, earning a split decision. After winning his next five fights by stoppage, he made his UFC debut in 2014 with a first-round submission of Charlie Brenneman, but lost his next fight via TKO to Ramsey Nijem. He then won his next five fights, including a rear-naked choke of Darren Krushank and decisions over Carlos Ferreira, Jim Miller, and Michael Johnson before losing by rear-naked choke to Michael Chiesa. He came back strong, knocking James Vick out cold with a thunderous left hook, and then decisioned Rashid Magomedov. However, the following year, his momentum ground to a halt as he suffered a second-round knockout via flying knee from Edson Barboza, and then after drawing with Evan Dunham, he was knocked out at the end of the first round by a single powerful left cross from Alexander Hernandez. Since 2018, he's been perfect, winning six in a row, including three Performance of the Night awards and one Fight of the Night as he defeated the likes of Drew Dauber, Frank Camacho by decision and knocked out Dracar Close with a left cross and Scott Holtzman with a spinning elbow. An elite Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner, Darush boasts an excellent 81% takedown defense while attempting two takedowns per minute. Under the guidance of Rafael Cordero, 
He has also honed his stand-up skills, landing at a rate of four strikes per minute with a 59% strike defense. Tony El Kikui Ferguson is 37 years old. He's six foot tall with a 76 and a half inch reach and a record of 25 and five with 12 knockouts and eight submissions. Born in California and raised in Michigan, he was a three-time All-State wrestler in high school and won the National Collegiate Wrestling Association Championships in 2006 while attending Grand Valley State University. He turned pro in 2008 with a second-round TKO and won his next three fights by stoppage before dropping a decision to Karen Darbedian. After amassing a record of 10-2, and two, he made it into Season 13 of The Ultimate Fighter, knocking out Ramsey Nijem in the first round of his UFC contract. He followed that up by breaking Aaron Riley's jaw and decisioning Eves Edwards, but in 2012 dropped a unanimous decision to Michael Johnson. He then went on a tear in the lightweight division, scoring Brabo chokes over Mike Rio, Edson Barboza, and Lando Venata, a decision over Rafael Dos Anjos, and a triangle choke over Kevin Lee for the interim lightweight title. However, he was later stripped of the belt due to a long layoff while recovering from a torn fibular ligament. A year later, he faced Anthony Pettis in an epic performance that garnered both men fight of the night awards, with Pettis retiring in his corner with a broken hand. In his lone fight in 2019, he had a dominant win over Cowboy Cerrone with a ringside doctor stopping the fight after Cerrone's right eye swelled completely shut. A fight with lightweight champion Khabib Nurkadamedov was in the works, but with Khabib unable to leave Russia due to COVID restrictions, a number one contender fight was arranged with Justin Gaethje. Ferguson started out well, using his head movement and reach to keep Gaethje at a distance, and even dropped him in the second round. But as the fight progressed, El Kakui started absorbing more and more leg kicks and punches, with his face becoming a bloody, swollen mess. The fight was stopped in round five. He tried to bounce back against surging Charles Oliveira. After getting the worst of a few stand-up exchanges, he was taken down and put in an arm bar with his arm hyperextended to the point of almost breaking. Unable to utilize his left arm for the remainder of the fight, he was outstruck and out-wrestled for the remaining two rounds. A relentless pressure fighter, Ferguson has one of the most diverse, chaotic, and effective styles in MMA, using a wide range of unique techniques. He likes to throw his opponent's timing off and sap their cardio. Possibly the most durable fighter in the UFC, he's an elite striker who is fantastic at keeping his opponents at optimal range and landing nearly six strikes per minute. He also boasts a 70% takedown defense and is one of the most prolific grapplers in the sport. Ferguson versus Darush. I will never pick against Tony Ferguson. This is where my bias comes into play. Tony Ferguson's going to get it done. If he can't get it done, he needs to. He, he might need to dip like uh, we're talking cowboy. But, uh, Joe. Yeah, this is a tough fight, man. Uh, Benil's pretty good fighter. Um, and and again, in sort of researching this, um, I didn't realize the the kind of knockout power he has. Uh, he's he's dropped quite a few guys. So uh, I don't know, man. I'm I'm I, I understand what you're saying, Jace. Um, and in rewatching both the Oliveira and Gaethje fights, you know, uh, he was in both of those until he wasn't. 
And it was quick how it, how that sort of developed. But, you know, I don't think that Tony Ferguson is done. And I think there's a big difference between the fights he's had and the fights Cowboys had. Where, you know, look, if Ferguson loses this fight, it'd be three in a row. And I don't think any of those losses are anything to be embarrassed about. He's running in the buzzsaws. That said... He needs to shut his mouth about Khabib. You couldn't, you, he would not have beaten Khabib any time over the last four. He, Khabib would have eaten him for lunch. You don't know give, that. Give that up. He would have. He certainly would have. Khabib would have, would have, would have been all over him, and there would have been a 0% chance of winning. Facts. Focus on who you're in the ring with now. Okay? You, you need a win desperately here. And this Darius is no joke, man. So if Tony Ferguson isn't right and hasn't figured out, I mean, he's taken taken two really bad beatings in his last two fights. I mean, bad. It, you, again, I I don't think he's at the end of the line. But as far as being a main event guy, uh, he's quickly putting himself in position where uh, that's not going to happen. So he's definitely going to have to start pulling out some W's. This is a really tough fight for him, though. Yeah, like I mentioned last time, when it, during the Oliveira Ferguson fight, Khabib was his white whale. Was his? He, he doesn't know what to do now, and uh, he's lost with Khabib gone. And I, I want him to get back on track because I do think with Khabib out of the picture. I, I still like how Tony would have matched up with Khabib. But with him out of the picture, I think he can be the, the champion, the actual champion, not the interim champion. You don't, you don't think so, Jared? No. Darius. Period. Okay. <laughs> Tony Ferguson, this is Cerrone two years ago. This is uh, maybe was at an elite level, not anymore. He's pretty okay. adamant about his feelings yeah. for Tony Ferguson. He's done. Um, I don't know that I 100% agree with that. Again, I, I I, mean, Ferguson Ferguson needs to show people the guy who we saw in that 12-fight win streak. That's what yeah. we all kind of need to see to figure out where he's at. I'm, you know, again, and I wish Jared was on for this. I mean, you know, this guy's got serious, I believe, mental issues. And I think it's definitely it's definitely having a, a negative impact on his fight career at this point. And I don't know that Tony Ferguson's a guy that anybody's going to make him go get help. You know what I mean? And that's a problem. No, I... I get what you're saying. I remember a couple years ago, he like had a mental breakdown, saying that there was like a chip in his head or like something around. The... Yeah, so I, I I get what you're saying. He is definitely this is a couple screws loose in his head. But I mean, you got to be got to have at least a couple loose in there if you're you're fighting for for a profession. But uh. I, I just really wish he can get back on track. 
But if he doesn't, I, I do think he – if you lose to Darius, I think you got to think about retirement. I mean, because he's not going to get back to that that uh, competing for the title. You good now, Jared? Yeah, yeah, I'm back. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't think Ferguson's got it anymore. It's just uh, – but I've been here with a couple different guys, and I don't think it's in there. All right. Okay. Now let's move on to the main event. The vacant UFC light heavyweight championship is on the line. Charles Oliveira versus Michael Chandler. Here we go. Guys, tonight on pay-per-view, we have an exciting showdown in the lightweight division as number three Charles Oliveira takes on number four Michael Chandler for the vacant UFC lightweight title. Let's break it down. Charles Oliveira, 31 years old. He's 5'10 with a 74-inch reach and a record of 38-1 with eight knockouts and 19 submissions. From Sao Paulo, Brazil, Oliveira started training in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu at the age of 12 and won his first major title at 14. He turned pro on March 15, 2008 in the Predator Fight Club, winning the welterweight Grand Prix with three first-round stoppages. He then won his next 11 fights, 10 by stoppage, before suffering his first loss, a knee bar submission by Jim Miller at UFC 124. After a no contest due to a legal knee with Nick Lentz, he was matched up with Cowboy Cerrone, getting dropped with the knee and then stopped by a vicious ground and pound. He bounced back the following year with two submissions, but was then knocked out by a brutal overhand right by Cub Swanson and after a 10-month layoff, dropped a decision to Frankie Edgar. He bounced back seven months later and went on a four-fight winning streak, including a unanimous decision over Jeremy Stevens in a guillotine choke of Nick Lentz, but then lost four of his next six fights, including a TKO due to neck injury to Max Holloway, back-to-back guillotine submissions to Anthony Pettis and Ricardo Lamas, respectively, and then a second-round knockout to Paul Felder, who blasted him out with a series of elbows. After taking some time off to reset himself, He went on a seven-fight winning streak, winning all fights by stoppage, including submissions over Clay Guida, Jim Miller, and Kevin Lee, while scoring knockouts over Jared Gordon and Nick Lentz. On December 12, 2020, he scored his most impressive victory to date, a comprehensive three-round defeat of former interim champion Tony Ferguson, in which he dominated with both his stand-up and ground game and nearly broke Ferguson's arm in the first round. One of the most technically proficient Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners in the sport, Oliveira holds the UFC record for submissions at 14 and finishes at 16. He's also been able to improve on his stand-up, controlling the distance with jabs and leg kicks, and making him more well-rounded, helping him go from 8-8 eight and eight before 2017 to 8-0 and oh since. Michael Chandler 35 years old. He's 5 foot 8 with a 71 inch reach and a record of 22 and 5 with 10 knockouts and 7 submissions. Born and raised in High Ridge, Missouri, Chandler started wrestling in high school and went on to become a Division 1 All-American at the University of Missouri, compiling a record of 140. He began training in MMA and made his pro debut in 2009 with a first round knockout. He made his Bellator debut the following year, knocking out Scott Stapp in round 1. He went on to win his next eight in a row, including a decision over Patricky Freire and rear naked choke of Rick Hahn and Eddie Alvarez, the latter fight being for the Bellator lightweight title. 
After three defenses, he lost the title back to Alvarez via split decision in a brutal back-and-forth struggle that saw Chandler bloodied and taking heavy damage to his left eye. The following year, he took on Will Brooks for the interim belt, but lost via split decision in another close war. And six months later in the rematch, he caught an overhand right from Brooks that left him senseless and unable to defend himself, losing by fourth-round stoppage. He bounced back the following year with a rear-naked choke of Derek Campos, a vicious second-round beatdown of David Rickles, and then in 2016, a brutal one-punch knockout in round one over old rival Patricky Freire for the vacant lightweight title. He defended it once, beating Benson Henderson by decision, but in his next fight, lost the title to Brent Primus, whose concentrated attack on Chandler's lead leg left him unable to stand on it, forcing the referee to stop the fight. After two dominant victories, he won his title back from Primus, controlling the rematch from the start with his wrestling, scoring numerous takedowns as well as landing heavy strikes. However, the following year, he was dethroned a third time, getting stunned by a counter right to the ear by Patricio Freire and overwhelmed with ground and pound. After vicious knockouts of Sidney Outlaw and Benson Henderson, he made his UFC debut, dropping Dan Hooker with a left hook and finishing him with ground and pound. A relentless pressure fighter, Chandler mixes a high-level collegiate wrestling style with a solid stand-up game and possesses both a powerful right cross with a killer instinct, often stunning his opponents and overpowering them with ground and pound. Will the elite jiu-jitsu of Oliveira finally bring him lightweight gold, or will the explosive power of Chandler win him the title in only his second UFC fight? Tune in tonight and let's find out. Jared, you, you, you've talked a lot about Oliveira. Is he going to get it done tonight? You guys made him one of my guys. I was thinking this. Like, uh, Rodriguez and Gagey and my, my fighters. This wasn't one of them until, and thank you so much, Tony, for reminding me. Great job with that bit. But I just said during the last one, I've said this before, Tony Ferguson's on his way down. That was the fight. I said, Oliveira's on his way up. Tony Ferguson's on his way down. You guys couldn't have disagreed more. That's still true. Oliveira wins. Ferguson loses. Um, here's, here's my ish with Oliveira because he's great. I watched him tap out after getting elbowed at the beginning of a ground and pound from Paul Felder. I talked about, and I have in his previous appearances on our show, talking about Charles Oliveira, that sometimes, for as great a fighter as he is, as great a submission artist as he is, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu master, this guy taps like a bitch sometimes, like fast. And I don't like that in a fighter. I don't. Now, the last eight or nine have been great fights for him. And the level of competition has gotten better and better and better. Michael Chandler, I don't like that he's fighting for gold here in fight two in the UFC. I have a real problem with that. Me too. I really do. Um, and for that reason, I would like to see Charles Oliveira win this fight. Michael Chandler has a way of winning fights and then losing the rematch. So I'm not sure how this is quite going to shake out. I'm going to pick Oliveira to win this. I think he's going to submit Chandler because I, I agree with you, Jared. You know, 
I think, uh, you know, Oliveira took some time off after after uh, some of those losses and had to kind of get it back together. And he's done that in impressive fashion. And I I don't know. I do. I think it's going to carry over uh, into a championship tonight. I'm going to go Michael Chandler. Just because, I mean. Someone has to. Someone does have to. But also, <laughs> also, you lost to Paul Felder. You can't, like, a champion with a loss to a commentator. Let, let's be real here for a second. So, And the, the one thing that scares me picking Chandler is in the past, he, he's had some great knockouts in his past couple fights. But I also feel like he's getting too comfortable on his feet with his hands. Uh, he's a great Jet. wrestler. And you, you talk about it, Oliveira taps kind of quick. So if he can bring him to the ground, maybe get a rear naked choke, arm bar something. I, I think that might be the success for a victory here. But I think it, they're going to brawl it out. And I, I just think... Chandler is more heavy-handed than Oliveira. Maybe Oliveira can hit him with an elbow or something to put his lights out, but I, I'm going to go Chandler to get it done. Jared's you know, walking away because he doesn't. Looking, looking at the Ferguson fight, it just seemed to me that Oliveira is faster and stronger and quicker just on everything against everybody right now. He seems like he's always a, a step ahead of everybody. Um, and, and so, again, I'm going to ride the hot hand here. Um, and, and and listen, Jace, this is one of the rare times where I'll say, I think Michael Chandler has as good a chance to win this fight as Charles Oliveira does. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if, if Chandler knocks him out in the first round. I wouldn't be shocked by it. I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think Oliveira is going to submit him in round two. But um, Chandler winning this fight, to me, is not absurd or outside the realm of possibility. I'm just going to ride with Oliveira because I think right now there's not a lot of guys uh, in the entire sport that are fighting as well as Charles Oliveira. I get that. It's going to be a good fight regardless. I'm very, very excited. But we're going to take a quick break. And then Jared is going to hit us with that flurry. The Closing Time Podcast is back. Sponsored by Rocky Hill Accountants. I'm Joe Aguirre. I'll have a brand new co-host, Sanam Salati, who's my broker, my mentor, and my good friend, and one of the most knowledgeable people in Connecticut in the entire real estate industry. We're going to be talking about the latest goings on. We'll keep you up to date on the market, and we're going to bring on some really great guests all throughout this season. People in all different fields in the industry, like accountants, home inspectors, mortgage reps, and so much more just to give you a better understanding of the Connecticut real estate market. We're so excited for a brand new season of the Closing Time Podcast, part of the CMG Podcast Network. It's sponsored by Rocky Hill Accountants. Go see Heidi and Glenn Parchman to file your taxes for bookkeeping, business advice, real estate investments, or whatever your accounting needs are, including cryptocurrency. Just visit RockyHillAccountants.com. We'll see you all season long on the Closing Time Podcast.
And for this week's flurry, the Scrub Scap Spotlight is Pax. Welcome to the show, Pax. Hi, thanks for having me. These are my co-hosts, Joe and Jace. Nice Hello. Hello. Uh, so we'll just talk to you a little bit about your uh, experience at Scrub Scraps. You didn't, uh, you didn't actually fight at Scrub Scraps, um, but had some sparring sessions at gyms and actually really took a took a liking to it. What what attracted you first to the sport? Um, well, at the time I was um, I was in high school um, and I was struggling a lot with PTSD. Um, and I know Jared, especially like talking to you and like um, hearing your background, like that definitely made me feel um, more comfortable. Um, and for me, boxing was a great way to um, kind of focus myself and release some of the, the anger that I had at the time. So. Oh, you know, it's interesting because I don't, you know, we've had quite a few people come on. Uh, with the sharing their scrub scraps experience. And I don't know I've ever heard anybody say, or at least admit that a lot of it is literally what you think boxing is, right? Just, uh, kind of releasing that aggression. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to hear more about that. Did you, did you feel angry or was it in just, just the moodiness sometimes, you know what I mean? Was it like, how angry were you and, and how much of a release were you finding at scrub scraps? Um, I, I was, uh, well, I was really, um, angry because of some of the stuff I was going through at the time. Um, and I was really anxious. So I, I felt like I had a lot of energy I needed to release. Um, and especially with boxing, um, yes, I mean, there is that, that punching, right. And that high exertion of energy. Um, but it's also, it's also very controlled. Um, so that felt like a very safe environment to, to kind of do that and, and to, to focus yourself in on something. One of, uh, one of the stories that sticks out for me with your experience was all of these things, these little intricacies to the game. I was, I was training you for a while before you got a, a sparring session. And when you did, it was like an adult female with an amateur record that was, you know, um, sparring with you and, Oh man, when I tell you guys somebody being left-handed can be a big deal, I'm in the corner between rounds trying to explain all those little idiosyncrasies that you guys already understand <laughs> on the fly after months. <laughs> she's got her first live sparring session, the girl's left-handed. I'm like, okay, so here's what you want to do with your feet. I know we're kind of on the fly here. Oh my God. But if you can imagine trying to get those basics about fighting a left-hander out during that 30-second break with 3 of 15 at the time. Yeah, somewhere around there. <laughs> I remember that experience very well as a trainer because you have a lot of different things that fly at you during that 60 seconds that you want to, okay, now let's recap. Here's where we're going to go. And um, you never expect it to be all brand new. And that's what I had was 60 seconds to give you a bunch of stuff that I. Uh, thing that could happen. I mean, went really well, though. I really uh, cherish having that experience with you, Pax. You know, for what it's worth. Me too. Me too. Pax, now, if someone 
was hesitant to get into boxing or get into scarf scraps, how, what would you tell them to reassure them that it could help them? Um, well, I think I would tell them that the, the pace at which they go and um, what they do, whether they choose to just train or to fight, um, like they can stop at any time. It's really up to them, like how much energy they want to put into this. Um, but I, I think just the, the community too, and being able to talk to people and hear their experience, um, it's a great way to just feel connected with others and feel like you're a part of something. See, yeah. that's the one I think we hear most, you know, that sense of belonging, the sense of community. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I think for, for people, you know, you talked about being angry and having uh, some PTSD, you know, I think when you're, especially as a younger person and you don't understand that there's other people going through crap as well. And that it might be different, but you know, in the collective, it's like, you know, where it's like, Oh, I got this issue, you know? To, to have the support, and, and I think when you're talking about a, a sport like boxing, which is a very individualized sport, you need a team. Mm-hmm. And I think for people who are coming to Scrub Scraps, you never had a team before. And so it's that sense of accomplishment, because I, I have people behind me that are supporting me, and that's probably a different experience than what you what you had before you got there. Absolutely. Very well said, Joe. <laughs> yeah, I'm proud of myself. That all just yeah. kind of hit me. I learned, <laughs> I learned so much about this week in and week out. And again, I mean, I've we've done interviews on this show, and I've done separate interviews with uh, a lot of the Scrub Scraps participants. Most of them, uh, Dax, make me cry. That happens mm. a lot when people share some of the the, the more uh, intimate details or talk about sort of the impact that it had on them. How are you doing now? as far as PTSD and just dealing with that kind of stuff better having gone through the experience, I assume. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I definitely don't think I would be in the place I am right now. Um, if I, I didn't do scrub scraps with Jared for a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I think the, the main takeaway from that experience for me was that, um, like I have the ability to, be interested in something and um, use my energy in a, in a positive way. Um, and I mean, right now I'm, I'm at Purdue university studying microbiology um, and I'm hoping to go get my PhD. So um, I think that definitely changed my, my life around for sure. <laughs> Jared, it worked. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. I got, uh... Good for you, Dak. That's very impressive. Uh, we had Miles on a few weeks ago, and he's he he was you know struggle leaving the house to now a Wisconsin University recent graduate. Um, they're they're beautiful stories, you know. I saw um I don't know if any guys ever saw the movie uh, Accepted. There's an old Justin. Lo- it's a comedy, but I ball through the whole thing. Like I'll cry through the entire movie, even though it's a comedy. Um, it's about this kid that, that, that can't find a college. He keeps getting rejected by all the college. So he makes up like this fake newsletter, an acceptance letter from a college and it ends up going out into the world. And so everybody that can't get into any other college ends up going to the, so then they have to set up college 
And actually, and what they found was all the people that ended up here kind of had these similar stories. And it just reminds me so much of Scrub Scraps, where you go and, you know, there's not, there's not a, a tryout. As Dizzle said, there's no tryouts. You know, everybody's kind of going to be accepted and there's a spot for you and there's somebody close to your skill level and, and we're going to figure it out. Pax, are you still training today or... I am not, no. No, well, and like John Scully said, that is your average boxing experience. It isn't the world champion. It's somebody who comes in that didn't have all the tools they needed, looked at somebody else's toolbox and started to develop those tools on their own, and then go use those tools to, to, um, to, to make their life better and more manageable. Um, I think when I look at PAX, it's more the it's it's more the run of the mill story for boxing. You get into it for a little while. The problem is that when you go to a regular gym, you're not able to extract the things that she extracted at the same rate. You get you get beat up more, and you kind of got to do that work on your own. Whereas as scrub scrubs, that's the focus is to give you those tools and then let you go use those tools in the other aspects of your life. You know, not necessarily to make you some great championship fighter. I'm not looking for the next Mike Tyson. I'm just looking for the next smile, the next, the next day to wake up. I had a guy message me the other night. Um, told me he didn't want to be one of my stories that I was on here crying about, but you know, and um, I've got a lot of both of those and you're one of my favorite success stories, Pax. Thank you. All right. Thanks for joining us, Pax. Thank you for having me. It was nice meeting you. Nice yeah, meeting thank you. Thank awesome. You. And that's going to do it for throwing jabs for myself, Joe Guaya and Jared Jones. Make sure you check out tonight's fights. Make Prompt sure you go. To... Yes, sir. <laughs> and make sure you check out uh, the throwing jabs on Facebook, uh, YouTube, and subscribe to Clovercrest Media on Twitch, as well as check out clovercrestmedia.com. See you next time. Talk more fights. Ladies and gentlemen, this is our main event.